Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio Podcasts. I'm pleased to share a panel discussion from the 2022 Chief Medical Officer Summit 360 on the topic of building a work culture that attracts and retains talent in an increasingly competitive emerging biotech space. For more information about the CMO Summit, our editorials, podcasts, and webinars, please visit cmosummit360.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Uh, so we, there were so many relevant discussions today about hiring and retaining talent. So what we're going to do today is really focus on the CMO, the CMO pathway, and the hiring needs. So since the topic is very important, why don't we just jump right into introductions? Okay, thanks, Deborah. Uh, my name is James Lewis. I'm an executive director for Barrington James. Uh, Barrington James are a global life sciences staffing company uh, headquartered in the United Kingdom, but we've been in the US for 11 years now. Uh, we recruit all areas of life sciences on an executive search, permanent or contract basis. Thank you. Hello, my name is Barbara Day, and I'm a principal at Penfield Search Partners, and we are also a clinical recruiting firm. We specialize in the biometric space, both uh, contract and permanent recruitment. Hi, I'm Donna Higgins, founder and CEO of the Higgins Group, and we are a boutique retained executive search firm. We focus on senior level hiring on the R&D side in life science companies of all sizes. And um, at the VP level and above, we also just launched a, um, a new practice called HD2, which is a focusing on physicians only that are entering into the industry space because we feel like there's a big gap in what happens when, right when you enter industry. And what, what um, we, we feel like we can be very helpful in, in shifting the paradigm, the level of thinking from what it takes to be an what it takes in academics versus what it takes in industry, and we think that by doing that, we'll be able to open up the pool of CMO talent for those of us who need it down the road. Thank you. Hi, I'm Patrick Burnett. I'm the chief medical officer at Arcutus Biotherapeutics. It's a biotech company based in Westlake Village. And I'm, I'm one of those uh, people who made that transition early in my career after about six years in academics into, into industry. So I think we can definitely use your help. And lastly, I'm Deborah Barton. I'm the Chief Medical Officer of Charisma Therapeutics. I'm a medical oncologist. And I came into pharma at a very, as an MSL, medical director, all medical affairs, then clinical development, and now I'm a CMO. So it was a very stepwise very rich learning experience for me. Uh, so we have a lot of biotechs trying to find good talent. And we actually have a lot of CMO hopefuls around the world. So maybe I'm going to start with Donna. How can a biotech really find the right talent amongst this pool of CMOs and pool of non-CMOs that may be ready to make the jump? Uh, well, <laughs> as we've seen the, uh, early on this morning with all of the data around the amount of just company proliferation and trial proliferation that's, that's out there, everyone is scrambling to try to get the talent that they need. Um, we do have a very robust CMO practice, and I'm sure everyone in here has gotten 
at least several dozen calls from people in my organization. <laughs> but um, the, um, you know, there's no cloning factory yet, and there's no magic wand for how you get talent in this market. But um, a lot of different things have been talked about. I think that the um, keeping the concept of the, the tightness of the market and the fact that you're going to compromise, and this is at any level that you're hiring in the organization, and in particular at the senior level hires, unless you're one of those CMOs that is just so spectacularly good and with a reputation that precedes you by a large margin where people, you can, people will take your phone calls and they'll, they'll kill to work with you again, use a search firm and build trust with your search firm because what this, a good search firm will do is dig into your organization to see what do you have to work with to attract the right people to your organization. And also, what, what levers do you have that make the most sense for you to compromise because you're going to compromise somewhere? So it's a search firm's job to work shoulder to shoulder with you on figuring out what those compromises could be. And um, by showing you the data of real life humans that are either that may be more junior than you'd like to hire or more senior than you'd like to hire or outside of your therapeutic area of focus, or maybe it's not an MD, maybe it's a PhD. There's a lot of ways you need to be thinking and very thoughtful about what options you do have to bring in talent that is not going to also blow up your organization because there's been a lot of talk about culture and one of the things that I think was said on a couple of the panels was, you know, it's, it's a small town when it comes down to it and everyone knows someone who's worked with someone who's worked with you in the past and they're going to do their diligence on what is, what is it like to work in that company. So when you, when you hire a toxic person which exists out there, they need to go quickly because you'll, you're, you're, your hiring will really be hurt by that. There's a, a ton of little pieces of how you can do this right, but I think making sure that you're focusing on every possible lever you have to, um, to try and get to that best you know, compromise that you can is what's important. So, um, and a little good luck helps too, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's always that conversation of a company trying to find the unicorn that doesn't exist. So you will need to find some level of compromise here or there and having clarity on which thing you can compromise is gonna be very important. So moving to the other side of the phone call, uh, I'm gonna ask Patrick, so we do receive a lot of phone calls. So how can we, you know, decide uh, ideally not when you're running away from something, but decide on something that is so interesting that is worth a call back. Yeah, I think we heard earlier a discussion of kind of the balance that's taken place now between the, the challenges of, of recruiting and, and just how tight the job market is um, and the opportunities then on the side of us as, as individuals. But, but I think that it really comes down to the same things that that go into running a really good business, you know, uh, having good people, having a good product, and having a really strong culture. Um, if you've been on the side of running a company like that, then you also, when you're looking at a CMO role, 
you know exactly what it is that you're looking for. You know, you want to see an executive team that doesn't have that toxic individual because if you've ever worked in that environment, you realize that it's almost impossible to, to get your work done. It's it's hard enough role without having to also deal with that. Um, you want to understand that the culture is one, and we heard this earlier, that that if there's a mistake, if there's a problem that happens, that it doesn't immediately degenerate into finger pointing. We, we read out a negative study at my company about six months after I joined, and that was my proudest moment, was we had a negative study, and I couldn't have been more proud because we made it all the way through. Luckily, it wasn't our, our key product, but we made it all the way through that without a single uh, event of finger pointing, and I said, this is actually a culture that I'm, I'm happy to be associated with. Um, and I personally felt like, you know, I. I was able to navigate that difficult decision, which is how do you select a company so that you can be someplace that you can be proud of, because you need to have that to bring other individuals into your team. Um, and I think all of those aspects of, of the different people include the board and, the, uh, and the, your, your fellow executives, um, and even the people that you bring in every single day to your company so that when they're you know, interviewing their future team, if you have someone coming onto your group, that, that they're excited to be working with them. Yeah, and I think somebody said earlier today that when you're being interviewed to join a company, you're also interviewing them, right? It's as important so you can get that feeling on how they would behave on such a negative situation, for example. Uh, so question to Barbara. During the interview process, sometimes the, the questions go towards why are you running away from there? And that's not necessarily where you want to go in the conversation. You really want to emphasize all the good that you've done. So how do you recommend navigating that call? Great. Yeah, that's a really good question. So oftentimes, um, as a CMO or a CEO, your first question is, well, why are you leaving where you're, where you're at now? Um, and if you are the person who is actually the interviewee, the best response to that is a very brief one sentence of what you are looking for. So I'm looking for this. Then you immediately move into what is it about this opportunity, whatever this company is that you're interviewing with, what is it about them that attracts you? Why do you want to be there? Is it their product line? Is it their CEO? Is it um, some of their, they're going to have some readouts very soon. Um, their culture that you've heard about. Those are the things that you want to kind of drive the, uh, the discussion towards. And then you also want to talk about their culture. So you can use that time to start talking about what culture works best for you. Where have you been most successful? And then you can say, does that resonate with you? Is that something that you feel your company brings? Um, and then, if you're on the interviewing side, uh, your better question to ask somebody is, you know, what are you looking for? Where are you most successful? What kind of culture do you thrive in? And then, the most important thing as an interviewer or an interviewee is, really look deeply into yourself, into your own company, and say, what is our culture? What are we looking for? This person is looking for X. Do we offer X? Maybe they're the best CMO you have ever talked to, and they're looking for a culture you don't have and you don't want to have. They're not the right fit for you, and they won't stay. So being very introspective in both your interviewing process and your interviewee process is 
critical to making sure that you find the right person for your culture or you find the right culture for yourself. I would hope hiring managers would be here listening to you. Um, so moving to um, James, uh, we know currently the markets are on a low, especially for small biotech, but they still need to hire CMOs. So the financial place is not really where we would wish it would be. So potentially the salaries are not necessarily there and there's no title inflation for a CMO. It's a CMO, you're hiring a CMO. So how, how companies can be creative and resourceful when trying to bring an experienced CMO in such a situation? Uh, yeah, thanks, Deborah. It's a great point. And um, as we know um, in the industry, we're talking a lot of colleagues earlier have spoken about the challenge of a small biotech versus a big pharma. And um, we can't just throw money at the problem. Uh, that's a recruitment method, throw money, but it doesn't always work. Um, but Deborah, I'll go back to your point earlier. You started off by saying, well, we're looking for unicorns. And um, I think that's right. I think when you're um, trying to hire a CMO and you're a small biotech, um, you are looking for a unicorn, but um, as we know in this room, and uh, as we're taught when we grow up, unicorns don't actually exist. So um, what we need to do is find a horse and stick a horn on it. Uh, but um, what I'm gonna give you hopefully is a few ideas as to what your horn, and uh, I'll be careful with how I phrase that, what your horn can actually be in your organization. So there isn't too many different ways to, an English phrase, apologies, to skin a cat. But um, I can give you some ideas that I hope will work. So um, first up, I'd look at it and go, if I can't compete financially to make a hire, uh, ask yourself the question, do you really need to hire a CMO? Uh, you're a small biotech. Is your business at the point where you need to go and break the bank, spend all that money to bring in a CMO? Um, there's a lot of very, very good consultants out there. There's a lot of probably people in this room that could be consultants at CMO level um, that you may not need a full-time CMO. When you're a really small biotech, you might not need to go and hire. You might get someone, say, next level down or two levels down, um, obviously save their salary and spend the money on a consultant on an advisory level. Can turn out to be very, very expensive in the long run. Can not be a cost saving, but it's definitely something to consider as you're looking at how do I bridge that gap and have a CMO that we can go to without having to hire one. Um, a second idea is maybe leverage relationships that uh, your investors may have. So if you're a privately funded company, you might have an investment house or a VC that has a number of different biotechs in their portfolio. That can be a really, really good way of sharing the costs. So if you've got that relationship with your partner, with your fund partner, go to them and see if they can almost hire a group CMO. So someone can come in and actually be a CMO for you and a number of other companies. So you're not spending all that money and basically blowing your whole budget for people on that one key hire. Um, another slightly different approach is if the money's really not there, what do you have to sell? Uh, I always talk about um, when you're in a nightclub and um, you're going out there and I'm probably not the best to sell myself in a nightclub. My, my better days are behind me, but um, uh, they're still sexy out there. And um, is, is your science sexy? And I think that's something that people should always look at. Have you got a really sexy product that's gonna attract the right CMO to your business? Because um, when people get to that level of CMO, 
we, we know money's important. We know that it's a very, very big factor, but it's not always, always all about the money. So think about what you can sell them in your product in the exciting, groundbreaking technology they're going to be working on, something that uh, will really attract them to the role. And it may well be that your first choice, CMO, isn't that individual, but there's enough talent in this market, despite the shortage, that you'll find the person that believes in you and believes in your product and uh, will come on board at maybe a stocks option, maybe I'm interested in the science, I want to take it there and I'll take a salary, but I'll be price competitive. That's probably the main things to look at when you're trying to work ways to hire the right talent and the very, very best without having to spend all the money. Thank you very much. Um, now, Patrick, you and I came out of academia and built our way to becoming a CMO via different pathways. What would you tell, and I'm sure there are some people in the audience who would like to be a CMO, what would you tell them that you wish you knew before to, to make that navigation through building up to becoming a CMO easier or smoother? Yeah, I think, I think for me what I struggled with is that I didn't take advantage of people within my network to really understand the difference between what a CMO did. And I came up from a purely clinical development um, uh, background. So understanding what the difference between what a CMO did and what I had done. Because I, I looked at their role and I said, oh, they're, they're just kind of doing it on a broader scale than I am, more or less. I'm, you know, pretty good understanding of regulatory. You know, I understand safety. So how, how much more complicated can that be? But it's what you don't know that really uh, is the challenge. And, and I had CMOs within my network, but I never really reached out to them to kind of ask that question. Um, and so I think it's really about understanding, and, and this is the approach that I take with people in my own group, because I, I try and hire people who are, um, even if they're going to only be with me for about two years, are, are kind of headed toward that direction to, because I think that that kind of ambition is really very productive and at a small organization it can be challenging because in two years they're probably going somewhere else. It's, you know, it's not big pharma. You can't find a place to tuck them away nicely. But um, I, I think that really kind of getting them understanding about those pieces that they may not have. So if they're, if they're a, um, a medical affairs person trying to get them more clindev experience and vice versa, um, understanding not just kind of the cost of how to run trials, but also the impact of that cost on an organization and the financing aspect of that is, is really critical because oftentimes um, we are the ones who are spending the vast amount of money that is being raised uh, on the investor side. And so having a good stewardship of that, I think really requires uh, an in-depth understanding. Um, and you're not gonna be a credible person you know, with your CFO if you don't really understand how significant that impact can be. Um, and then the, the, the other piece I would really say is investors and board of director engagement. That's something that's kind of a black box for a lot of people, even at the VP level. Um, so I do try and bring my VPs into those discussions at every opportunity that I can, especially if I think that they, they're looking to head to some kind of C-suite role or a CMO position. Um, and then the, the obvious one is really management and, and leadership experience, and some people are good at that, some people have paid attention to it, but getting someone more kind of coaching and exposure to, to that, because if you don't have that the moment you step into a CMO role, then I, I think you can make some really bad missteps that are hard to recover from and can take you know, months for you to kind of get back on top of, uh, of managing your team. 
Yeah, I was just going to say that I think that approach is what's needed at every level because what people are looking for is, A, to work with people they, they enjoy working with, they feel like they're learning and growing, and even if it's, if you're a CMO and you want to be president of R&D or a CEO at some point, you, I mean, just offering opportunities at every level for people to get exposed to um, just the next level of thinking that they need to be bringing to the job at that level is just key, and that attracts the best people. They want to grow and learn. Uh, I think as well, Patrick, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, you talked about two years and move on. I think we've moved on from a working culture where someone has to stay somewhere forever. You can go in and get new skills and learn experience and as a candidate maybe look and it won't be necessarily looked down on you if someone goes through your resume and it's, why have you got two years here, two years here? If you're two years there or I'm learning something new, I'm adding to my skills portfolio, I'm developing so I can go to that next role, that's not necessarily a bad thing as an employer, not great if you train someone up and two years they bounce on, but that's kind of the modern world we're in now where loyalty and with someone from the start to the end of the process doesn't always have to happen in the recruitment world that we're in at the moment. I was just gonna to add to that to the fact that we there was the word churn in the heading of this panel and I think one of the ways that you stop this churn factor is by having frank conversations with what are people's expectations, what gaps do they want to fill, and how are you going to help them with it? And then also knowing that they're not going to stay forever, and what, but keep them there, continuing to learn and grow so that they are actually ready for the next role. Because in this market, often people are stepping into CMO roles and others that are not prepared, and it's, uh, it's tough. So uh, I think that's a wonderful way to keep people for the right amount of time. We have about five minutes, so I do have more questions for them, but I would like to know if uh, the audience has any questions. Otherwise, I will just continue. So, Deborah, I have a question. Oh, yes. Um, so, we've talked a little bit about moving into the CMO role, but what about the pipeline of physicians coming up. So can you speak to physicians who want to move into pharma, biotech, and don't have experience? Well, that was a layup, but um, one, of the, one, of the, we're, one of the reasons we started HG2 is because we just, we really feel that the physicians are not quickly enough understanding the nuance, you know, the differences that, that, and the ways that they need to shift and learn some new things and unlearn some other things. And so in addition to the, doing the search work for the entry-level physician up to the VP, we're wrapping it around with a, a leadership development program that helps with self-awareness and EQ and accepting feedback, giving feedback, and really just the core components of what it takes to lead so that, because often the physician is such a visible high, you know, person in the organization that the non-physicians are looking for the, you know, the arrogance factor that they've seen in the past, and you're sort of guilty until proven innocent. So even that awareness of how you might be seen as you move into that, you're not that, you know, the hub and spoke thing changes so drastically, and that the team orientation and making sure you're really valuing and understanding how the decisions are made and early on before you get a reputation that will that will take a lot of, to, to get rid of. 
So that will, I think, we think that helping people understand that more quickly will enable a level of understanding that will hopefully allow them to move more quickly and more effectively into the CMO level roles. But, and there is a lot more interest in academics to move into, into industry for sure. Yeah, and I'd like to just add on to that. When, um, when you're bringing people into industry from academia, having processes in place and this is harder in smaller companies, I understand that completely, but even you know minor processes in place. So they have a little bit of a roadmap on how to integrate themselves into your company. Little things like, who do I go to exactly if I have an, an IT problem? You know, where do I go for this resource? Where do I go for that resource? It smooths the way, it kind of paves the way for them to be more successful, be less frustrated, because as we all know, when we're frustrated, the superiority can come out. And that is not what you want to have happen when you're trying to integrate these individuals. So if you can put together some very you know, clear um, processes to help them in that transition, that, that's, going to be, that's going to be key for success. Any other question in the audience? Otherwise, I'm going to ask if anyone has a pearl on, because we just have two minutes. When you join a high-functioning team, one do and one don't, if you have any pearls to share. Uh, yeah, one do um, is immerse yourself into the culture. We've heard a lot about culture today. Uh, so immerse yourself into the culture of that company. Um, I think someone mentioned earlier, you might think you're the smartest in the room, but you're not as smart as everyone else in that room. So be part of the culture. And um, one, one don't is, even if you're coming in at a very senior level, don't come in and tell, come in and ask. And um, then you'll get something back from the team you have. Listen, listen, listen. When you come in, listen. Spend all your time doing that in the beginning, and you'll, you'll have success. Yeah, I, I would say the same thing. Listen and, and actually build relationships, specific relationships with each individual so that you, you need to get to the trust factor as quickly as you can, and that will ease uh, your insertion into the company. The, the approach I take, as I assume everyone else knows more about whatever it is than, than I do, you know, whether it's about the project or about development in general. And then only until it really looks like my input is needed will I then kind of start to, to offer it. I, where I see people get into trouble is they assume, well, I'm, I'm here, I'm at the most senior role, so I really need to tell everybody what it is to do. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in industry, you join a new team, they've been working on this for, for three years, and, and they, will, they will tell you exactly what it is that you need to do. So just assume everyone else knows what they're doing. Very good, so I'd like to thank my panel. Thank you, and now you can go have your ice cream. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Chief Medical Officer 360 Summit, our editorial podcasts and webinars, please visit cmosummit360.com. Thank you.